Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome. Welcome, all of you. Uh, in whatever form you come in, whatever you're doing, I hope you're not up to something too dubious. I hope you're trying. I got people coming in out of the garage. I'm having the talks. I'm uh, connecting with folks. Uh, most of them strangers, but most of them people that uh, I've admired or or certainly have tucked away into the compartments of what define me and my brain culturally. Like today on the show, John Lurie, who uh, some of you may remember from uh, from the Lounge Lizards. Some of you might know him from uh, the Jarmouche movies he did, uh, Down by Law and uh, Stranger Than Paradise. And he was in uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. Some of you might know him from uh, some some of his other music uh, he's now a painter, but uh, but he was definitely a, a presence back in my brain, back in high school when some dude laid that Lounge Wizards album on me, that first Lounge Wizards, and just seeing you know John there with his saxophone and having that intensity he naturally has, I was like, who the fuck is that guy? And I'd see him in the groovy movies. I'm like, this dude means business, and he had this sort of a kind of a philosophical crankiness to him that. That I definitely thought, like, you know, that guy is a, a guy I'd probably like. And now, like, decades later, after a short spat on Twitter about bullshit, you know, he shows up in L.A., he comes here with his assistant, you know, uh, you know, yeah, he's here uh, doing some painting business, moving the paintings and, you know, to, you know visiting the States, a reprieve from his uh, island retreat. Uh, and he stopped by. And we had kind of a loopy uh, discussion, and then I took him out for Mexican food, and and it continued there. And I got the feeling that uh, he he might not go if I didn't uh, need to do other things. But uh, we had a great time, and and, uh, that's coming up in a little bit. That's coming your way. He's a guy that's conquered some demons, and not unlike any of us, is still in the throes of the struggle with others. Going on the road tomorrow... I know some of you are coming to see me in Lincoln and in Iowa City and in uh, Kansas City. I, I think uh, Lincoln, Nebraska on Saturday at the Rococo Theater is sold out. I think that the Mission Creek Festival at the Inglert uh, on Friday, uh, tomorrow, uh, might be getting close to that. I'm not sure where Kansas City is on Sunday at the Arvis Bank Theater at the Midland. Uh, but, uh, but I'm heading out and uh, I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm looking forward to the shows because I don't know what's going to come out of me, and yeah, I'm a little hard on myself. And I think that uh, I think we're going to have a, a interesting and funny evening, all of them, unless I completely lose my mind. But I'm looking forward to the driving. There's something about the driving. It used to work. I sure hope the driving works still as a as a meditative uh, exercise. Just getting out there and letting your brain kind of relax and go where it's going to go without freaking out. And you're grounded by the, by the innate uh, physical need to drive the car. And hopefully nothing will jump in front of the car and jar my meditative state or, or wreck my, uh, my car, my rent-a-car. Don't want that to happen again. Let's read a couple of emails. Hello there, Mark. This is a subject line, hello from the UK. Hello there, Mark. I never write these emails. In fact, this is the first. I am a theater director and my work sees me bounce up and down the UK and across Europe like a fucking yo-yo. Since dragging myself away from alcohol a year and a half ago, I have had to booby trap my life with habits, random things outside of my job to keep my shit balanced. A series of things to help find interest in the solitary velvet jail that is life on the road. One of the things that anchors me and crowbars my brain out of whatever project I am working on is your podcast. Your barking through the internet into my headphones does me the world of good. I'm grateful for this, dude. I'm currently directing a production of Midsummer Night's Dream up in Scotland, 300 miles from my home in Manchester. In my production, the Duke plays blues guitar as the audience enters. He is drunk and is at the end of a long, long party. As the lights change to begin the play, I've asked the actor playing the Duke to growl, Boomer lives. It felt like a suitably cryptic springboard to open the play. I hope you don't mind. Thanks again for WTF. Thank you, Jonathan. I don't mind at all. I, I'm more than honored to be part of uh, a Willie the Shake production. Uh, you know, me and Shakespeare have a tenuous relationship, but I, 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 I hope he's posthumously happy that I'm cryptically involved in the unfolding of one of his magnificent masterpieces of theater. Thank you. And I'm serious. I'm not being condescending. I'm, I'm, completely, uh, I'm completely being uh, honest. This is a, a similar one, but it's a little more intense. So I'm going to roll through it with the energy that this guy wrote it. Subject line, hey, Mark, thanks for everything. Hey, Mark, my name's Joseph, and it's a little hard to believe I've probably been following the template laid out by all of your other fans with this email, the quick grab for attention, the explanation that I love your show and relate to you and want you to keep doing the good work. All that's true, and I guess I don't have anything more important to say than anyone else, but if you're interested, I'm a Southerner, and fuck, man, it isn't all picking crawdads out of the creek and barefoot playing. I live about 10 minutes from a fuck-ugly statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, and that's a problem i'm a writer which means i write things down and then don't get paid for them like the swaths of other artists that listen to your show when you talk about struggling with your comedy but doing it for the love of it well that hits me deep dude i know i do the same with writing because i have been oh here comes the obligatory drug sharing story but i've been sober for about five months this go around it was tearing me up and no one wants to read someone who's less stream of consciousness and more long-form bitching and self-aggrandizing less joyce or faulkner and more shitting the bed Last time I got fucked 
fucked up. I drank bourbon, which I still miss, but at least only half the time now. Bought heroin to take the edge off, like playing Jingo with your sanity, and passed out. I woke up Sunday morning like a Velvet Underground song and then smoked some crack with one of my lovely neighbors. Jesus, dude. I don't know if you've partaken, but it was like inhaling adrenaline smoke laced with flies. I was a live wire. Once was enough for me, and I'd be lying if I said you hadn't played a significant role in my recovery. It's not an exaggeration to say that my girlfriend, my best friend in the world, and you have all been there for me in different ways. I still crave that junk. I still smoke like a train, and I'm still trying to keep up the will to write and put my stuff out there. This has been long and convoluted, but I just wanted to shout out and say I think you're doing great work. You're a hilarious comedian and my ghost of Christmas recovery. Next time you come to Nashville, look out for a long-haired blonde dude with crescents under his eyes. Sincerely, Joseph. Good job, man. Stay with it, Joseph. Seems like you're on a roll. Am I right? Yeah. All right, so John Lurie. I got to tell you, I was a little nervous about this because... he struck me, you know, just from my experience with him as a fan and in movies. And, oh, Fishing with John was something I didn't mention. Uh, Marvin Pontiac, another thing. Uh, you know, from some of my, uh, my assumptions about him, I thought it, uh, I thought it might be uh, a little volatile. So I was a little, I was a little edgy, but it, uh, it worked out pretty good. And we had a, a nice time and a nice dinner after this conversation that we had that you were about to hear. Uh, you can go to johnlurieart.com to check out everything John makes. Beautiful painter. Uh, this is his song, Small Car, off the album, the legendary Marvin Pontiac, Greatest Hit. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I only know one other guy, two other people that have the Lyme's disease. Oh, a lot of people have it. Right, no, but me personally. Yeah. So I don't know what, you know, what the hell, how do you fucking figure out you have it? What, I mean, where'd you get, did you get it when you were fishing? I mean, I got it, I got Lyme disease in the Hamptons or North Haven yeah. in, in 1994. So you've known that long? Well, no. Yeah. Because, you know, you take the antibiotics. Yeah. And then it's supposed to be gone. At right. least back in 1994, that's what they thought. Right. And then about four or five years later, I started having what they said, oh, you've got chronic fatigue. Because right. I would just get, you know, I would get dizzy and achy. And, and I was on that TV show, Oz. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And <laughs> I used to be able to remember 20 pages of dialogue. Yeah. Now I got four lines. 
and I'm reading them over and over again. I'm recording them and hearing them back. I can't remember my four lines. Right. And then they told me that, you know, new characters are naked on the show. So I started working out like crazy because I don't want to, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I worked out one day, and then I had this attack. Ugh. Like, like you're on LSD yeah. in a s- boat. Yeah. In a storm, yeah. and, 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 like, and your heart's doing this weird stuff, and you can't walk in a straight line, and your vision's... So I went to the hospital, and no, you're not having a heart attack. And I just thought it's one of those weird things. That's right, happened. right. Age, anxiety, something. Then three days later, it happened again. Like, you you, you go out, you, you trip, and you, you, your vision gets fucked up, and your heart's beating too fast. You get what? migraine aura. You, I get this thing where... Um, my vision would be like static electricity almost. Oh, my uh, God. Roaring in your yeah, ears. Yeah, Prickling, like bee stings almost in, in your nerves. Really? And your heart doing weird stuff. And my left leg wouldn't work, you know. Oh, my God. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a horrible, but it, when you don't know. You know what's fucked up about me, the Jew that I am? I'm <laughs> sitting here going, oh, maybe that's what I have. So now you think you've got it? Cause... No, I, th- I just have these weird, uh, for years... I've had uh, like tingling and achy hands and feet. And, you know, that's a fairly standard anxiety issue. And I've gone to doctors. Yeah. They did the, uh, I did MRI. I did, uh, you know, reflex it to see if I had neuropathy. Nothing. I got nothing. And it's just sort of, it's just sort of there. Sometimes I notice it, sometimes I don't. But my hands and feet feel like they're electric sometimes. Well, that's one of the things. I get this electric thing down my left arm and left leg. Like it's like, you know. Like a shock, though. Yeah. Mine's it, sort of an ongoing current. Yeah, it's an ongoing current. And then there's a shock thing, too. But I don't know if I've had any other symptoms. I mean, how... But you know, I right. mean, we all got shit wrong with us. Yeah, I know. And you got to live neuro- with it, right? And the neurologists have no idea what's going Why on. Why can't they figure that shit out? They, we because... can go to space. Why can't they figure out the human vessel? Because it's relative to genetics and all kinds of other shit. Well, that's really one of the things that's so interesting. Yeah. Because when you got Lyme, all all your symptoms, all your systems stop working. You have a, a what's called a a barrel gland or something, and mm. its job, and they don't know how it works. Yeah, is to regulate <laughs> is, is to regulate the body so that the body knows when it's standing up or sitting down. Uh-huh. So they, you know, it increases the blood flow to the brain when yeah. you're standing up, and but they don't know how it works. Yeah, the real miracle is. That we all have these barrel glands that work and take them for granted, but sure. really, what it comes down to is like, why is any of this shit actually working? I know. I, why? I mean, that's the real. And so, of course, they don't take understand. a lot for granted. Yeah, we take a lot for granted. I know. You know, it's it's yeah. just amazing that you know, you know the consciousness, the curse of consciousness, is that we just kind of go, go along until something goes wrong. Well, this shit that happened to me. It, I mean, you would think it was really terrible, but really. I didn't know what the hell to expect. I thought you were going to come in here like gray as a ghost, kind of shaky. And, you know, I got a phone call. We can't have any uh, Windex in out here. Well, that's really actually true. Well, I don't have any out here, but I, I well, know. I'm just right? saying that that Windex in particular just like. Really? Yeah. Knocks you out? I can't think. Really? I cannot think. Windex in particular. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so I guess for years then people thought you were probably losing your mind. Well, no, I mean, I had 2002, and then I just started looking for what was wrong with me. Uh-huh. And it took me a long time, and then I finally found out it was Lyme, but that was like, it was four years before I was certain, because the Lyme people are so on a crusade to prove that their illness is real, especially back then. Yeah. And they were being persecuted by the insurance companies and, you know, the CDC. Oh, right, they couldn't get any help. 
Well, not only that, they were being sued. They would, you know, and then, the, you know, you're being diagnosed with Lyme and told that you have to be on IV antibiotics, but I can't give them to you. Right. So you have to get Find some, a guy. You have to find a doctor or a GP yeah. who will put you on. And I found this great guy, this Dr. Kaufman, who, who did it. You know, I was sick for years in my apartment, and I would be so lonely. In New York? Yeah. And yet, and yet somebody would come by, and all they have to do is pick up a glass and put it on the table. And I go, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you my know? God. Like your whole body hurt when they did that? I mean, everything bothers you. Everything bothers you. It's just And like, what, what about who were you before that? A guy that nothing bothered? No, I was always sensitive and cranky. I yeah, mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you're living with it, and you're you seem okay today, anyways. Yeah, I mean, it comes and goes. I mean, yeah. I, I, when did you do the fishing show? What year was that? We started in '91 and finished them in '93. Oh, so this is before the Lyme. Oh, way before the Lyme, and then, but then there was a legal problem with them, and I had to wait like seven years to get them back. I didn't get it out till '98. I didn't edit them. And what was the legal problem? Oh, it was a mess. I mean. This Japanese company had given me the money to do them. Yeah. It's a long... Well, really, how many did you do? Six. So you did one with Tom. Tom. You did one with... Charmish. Uh, yeah. Two with Dennis Harper. Hopper. Yeah. Harper. Hopper. Dennis Hopper, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Willem and Matt Dillon. Willem Dafoe and Matt Dillon. Yeah. Interesting. Here's the funny thing about you yeah. is that I had the fucking first Lounge Wizards record when I was in like high school. Oh, so you're younger than me? That's what you're. Yeah, point a little is. bit. <laughs> but yeah, what year was that though? Because it, it, I don't remember how I got it or why. Seventy nine. Right. Eighty. Right. Seventy nine. Right. So I'm in the high band school. started seventy nine. The record came out in eighty one. So someone gave me this record. I didn't know nothing about you know where jazz came from or what jazz yeah. was necessarily. And some hipster, a guy I knew at a record store, said, "You got to listen to this." Yeah. And I listened to that, and I'm like, "What the fuck is? What is happening?" Like it was one of those things. Where, you know, it kind of blew my mind and I couldn't stop listening to it, even though I didn't know, I didn't have enough foundation in, in music or, or in jazz yeah. to really get what you were doing. Was that the first thing you ever did, you know, in terms of artistic output? No. I mean, I made, I did a thing in London. No, I did a thing in, actually, the first thing I did was a, a thing in uh, Boston in my apartment. Yeah, was that a, a lot of people see that? No, like eight, you know, know like, know, like eight people. And then I did a, 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 a couple things in London. And then um, the first thing I did in New York was this performance piece, which started with the saxophone solo. And then and I made this tape of static electricity going, whoosh, whoosh, and I started swinging this, what looked like a baseball bat, was, but was actually hollowed out balsa wood, so yeah. I could do, going, and it would go faster and faster and faster and uh -huh. faster and faster. And the last section was I had done... I'd gone over to the docks and smashed all these glass windows and recorded it. Yeah. And I played over the top of that. Yeah. When I had my brother and some other people stand up and start screaming in the middle, you know, so. God, why, you know, there was a time where you could do shit like that. Yeah. Now, like, oh, let's well, go. you could still do shit no, like that. No, I know, but, 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 but like, you know, but, but back then, you know, that when there was a, a sort of kind of a chaotic performance art scene. Yeah. In New York. Yeah. That there was stuff like that happening, you know, and some people were good at it, some people not so good at it, but people were compelled by it. You know, now, you know, as time goes on, you know, and- Now, you can still do it and lose your $500 to do it. I know, but- But, but people are so geared to, like, their career and, and you know- Exactly, that, and the know. internet, too. Well, I mean, live performance is not what it used to be. No. So where do you come from? 
Why do you point at me when you ask me that question? Like, <laughs> where that was do like, you have you ever been a member? Yeah. Of a, <laughs> where does was, this particular I, Jew? I was I was born I was born in the uh, Minneapolis. Is that weird? Why? You, well, I mean, because uh, I won't get too Semitic, but I'm always fascinated with the Midwestern Jewish population. Were your parents from there? Were no, they of no. The, uh, it, my mother was uh, was Welsh protestant my dad was in new york i jew. want you to be all jew so no, i'm gonna make I'm, you was all... your mother jewish was yes, your mother jewish? My mo- oh, yeah, yeah but yeah. mine wasn't yeah. so you're so you read so jew to me i do yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> but um she's laughing am i right <laughs> i do i wasn't sure i, I didn't know till now that you yeah. were jewish why well, hide it unless you know me I, you gotta know yeah you gotta know i'm kind of jewish anyways i don't we- practice or anything but you know culturally how do, wait, what was the question? How do we end up there? Well, you're from Minneapolis, and I just know that there was this, um, like, I, I get sort okay, of obsessed with there. where Jews, how they end up in, you know, the Midwest, and I know that, like, you know, the Dylan comes from there, and there was Mitzi Shore comes from there, and there's a there was a Jewish community in the Midwest early, early. Okay, that's not... My dad went to NYU. Yeah. And... To do what? He wrote the whole literary magazine under pseudonyms and was going to be the next James Joyce. I oh, mean, really? He re- they really, but instead of writing, he went to the South. Yeah, and organized farm workers. Mm. And then after the war, he was labeled as a communist. After the Second World War, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he went to the Second World. That's where he met my mom. They went to Germany for a while. They moved to Harlem, and then he couldn't get work, and he became he sold Israeli bonds, which. There was a lot of like yeah. old commies in, the, so and they put him in Minneapolis to start their first thing. Oh yeah, and to then some bonds. Yeah, and then uh-huh. they moved us to New Orleans. Really? Yeah. So how old were you when you moved to New Orleans? Six. What'd you take in? What do you remember? What what hit you in the head? Well, I became obsessed with snakes. Oh yeah. I would go and hunt for snakes every day. So a lot of snakes in your paintings. A few. I've seen a few snakes. snakes. Yeah, they get boring to paint. But yeah, there's some snakes in the paintings. (laughs) Obama was making fun of you for having all the pictures of yourself on the wall, and I was going to send you a print of one of the paintings. I want a painting. How much they go for? I'll send you one for in here. Yeah. And then every time Obama comes, you go, that's a John Lurie painting. You know John Lurie? Because if he buys one, then, because the whole art world thing is- I know, dating a painter right now. It's just who bought your painting. Which oh, yeah. Leads to, yeah, it's, it's, it's 10 people, the art world. It's 10 people. And it's a ba- <laughs> It's the worst high school clique you ever came across. Yeah. But we just had this great thing in Italy, which was just so... Because I was getting fed up. Yeah. We had a show in Milan. It's still up. The gallery was wonderful. The curator was wonderful. The yeah. press was one. I mean, it was just like... Everything worked. It was just for real. It was just... Did you sell some? Yeah, a whole bunch. Oh, that's great. It's great because we were down to like bumping along the bottom with money there. You know? Oh, yeah? Yeah, really kind of got bad. So you moved to New Orleans. Yeah. You're obsessed with snakes. How long yeah. were you there? Two years. No music entered. Might have done, but, yeah. I, but I'm not sure. And then where do you go? Worcester, Massachusetts. Wow. What year was that? The year the world ended. <laughs> um, <laughs> what year would that have I been? I know a few people from Worcester. What year would that have been? I was born in 52. I mean, I must have been nine. But so Worcester was still a functioning, relatively industrial city. It wasn't uh As opposed broken. to what it is now? It's a little beat up. By the time I was in the it Boston was a area. Rough, it was a rough place. What's I mean, that? It, was, it, it was a rough place. Yeah. I mean, you know, like the, the bus station there, it really yeah. feels like that there's... 
I mean, it really feels like there's a dome over Worcester and God isn't allowed in. It really is kind of bleak. The end you know? of the line. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And where and you and where'd you go to college? I didn't go to college. So when did the music? Well, why aren't you going to point at me when you when you ask that? Why? When, when did you go to college? When did you go to college? And then you go, I didn't go to college. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> my dad died my senior year in high school, or I would have gone to college. Yeah. Yeah, because he was a big academic. He was all about academics. Oh, so you were on your way, and then he passed away, and you're like, I ain't going? Or... Well, he passed away like the week before my college boards, and I colored them in with like turkeys chasing pilgrims. Oh. Up, you know, and they, yeah, yeah. They didn't... How'd, he, how'd he pass? Emphysema. Oh, smoker? Yeah. Yeah. Did you smoke? Yeah. Oh, Not me. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Do you smoke? No, not anymore. I take these nicotine lozenges constantly. Constantly. I, I chew the gum constantly. I love I'm these. These are like candy. You suck on them. They're the best. The gum, like eventually you just keep chewing it even when the shit's gone. This stuff, you actually have a little more control over. You can pace it out. It's like having a real nice comforting drug experience. Like like if this is four milligrams. So in the morning- Are they paying you to say this? No, dude. <laughs> they not. Don't call me dude. All right, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bro, listen- Bro, oh yo. <laughs> so, where, but where does the music come in? When do you start blowing a harp? When do you start like what was going on in high school? That because you, you know you're you're an impressive musical mind that did some weird shit, and I want to know how that happened. My sister gave my brother a harmonica for his birthday. Yeah, when he's fourteen, I'm fifteen, or yeah. fifteen and sixteen. Yeah, and I stole it from him. And got good on it really, really fast. From listening to, did you like the little music? Walter, oh, little Walter, little Walter Juke. We, we became so obsessed with little Walter. Roller coaster? Could you play roller coaster? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Shit. no I could play. I mean, within a year, I mean, I could play it. I, I sat in with Candy Eaton, John Lee Hooker, Damn. and Mississippi Fred McDowell. When where? Did, I was, where? You know, Mississippi Fred McDowell was in Worcester. He was playing there, and somebody said, "John, take out your harmonica, take out your." And so, in between songs, I finally did. I sort of like did a riff and he invited yeah. me up on stage no shit now was he he was just him right on an yeah, acoustic yeah, yeah and that was his resurgence by that point the mississippi like yeah. they went and found him and yeah. they and they oh yeah so he's playing slide guitar and yeah. you're riffing how was it a big crowd or was it a folk crowd no, it was a bar it was some coffee shop but you went to people. see him huh yeah 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 sure great and then with canned heat and johnny hooker together we hitchhiked from worcester to, to new york yeah to see them at Carnegie Hall. Who? Can Heat? Can Heat with John Lee Hooker. Oh, th- I have that record. It's, it's great. Oh, that's Alan Wilson makes that oh, shit. And man. he had just died. He had just OD'd. The harmonica player? Yeah. Of Can Heat. But he was really kind of like the Brian Joe. I mean, he was really the soul, musical yeah. soul. He was yeah. a genius, actually. Yeah. And we had nowhere to go afterwards. My uncle had this apartment on you know, 57th Street, but we didn't really have anywhere to go. We were just standing on the corner yeah. of 6th and 57th yeah and they came out <laughs> after the show yeah like at yeah. half an hour, and i said you know i play the harmonica and i'm very serious about it i'm a kid yeah and i'll hitchhike to wherever you're playing next and i'll meet you there if you let me sit in and they said okay we're at the philadelphia spectrum mm-hmm. and they just lost their guy not nah, two months, oh, okay. months before, yeah, yeah. but you know they were. right so we hitchhiked to philadelphia and snuck into the spectrum at like three in the afternoon oh, they didn't even put you on the list well, we didn't even know about yeah, this. Yeah, right, then, right, you know? right, yeah. 
we snuck in and we sort of hid in the basement and then we kind of worked our way up to the dressing room like they, got, they were all you know what was so shocking was like they were all so happy to see me like I was some long lost friend and they said well play a little bit and so I did and then they said okay come on out and I played in front of 20,000 people oh my god and you suddenly you're thrown out in front of 20,000 people and yeah. you're 16 years old and you play and I think it went okay and yeah. then you leave the stage and then you're in this kind of nasty part of town. I mean, the, where the spectrum was, yeah. and so we're just wandering around. Finally, the police came by, said, "You can't walk around this neighborhood at two in the morning." Well, we have nowhere to go, and they drove us over to Temple University, and we slept on the couches there, and, hit, and then hitchhiked back. Oh God, that's a good story. So you were a blues guy, starting, yeah, but you loved it, yes. And then, how does it start to change? When did you pick up a saxophone? So. I mean, how I got the saxophone is just a bizarre story that nobody believes, but I'll tell you. But basically, all the musicians I looked up to were from Boston, and they were all into jazz. Boston guys? Yeah, Boston, really good blues players, but they were all listening to Dolphy and Coltrane and stuff. When I listened to that shit, it was like, what? It was yeah. like, is this Chinese? I don't get sure. it. And so because there was something I didn't understand, I started, but how I got the saxophone, nobody, I'll tell you the story. Okay. Because this was like God coming and saying, John, this is what we But want. up to that point, you played harmonica, harmonica. And guitar, no guitar? I played guitar, yeah. Were you good? Not yet. I was also studying classical guitar, but the harmonica was the thing I was good on. Where were you studying classical guitar? There in, you know. With in the, Worcester? Yeah, with, with a guy? A, at a music the, store or what? No, at some guy's house. Some, yeah. Some bitter guy who, yeah. you know, hated everything. Yeah, you hold the guitar on the other knee. Yeah. 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 Totally. Okay. So you, all these guys in Boston, saxophone. So, he, he, the, so I said, so Babe Pino was yeah. the big harmonica guy in yeah. Boston. I couldn't stand him. <laughs> like really creepy hair and creepy clothes, but he was, and he just had some licks. He wasn't really good. He just had these impressive licks. Oh, yeah. But they came to Worcester to play. Yeah. With Michael Avery, who was my, you know, I was close with Michael, and um, Bob... Bob Margolin, who who played with Muddy Waters yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, I know that name. Muddy Waters used to call him Guitar Goonie. Uh-huh. And, um, but I asked to sit in. And yeah. Michael, but he, Michael was uncomfortable because it was, it was Babe Pino's gig and he was a harmonica player. And then I sat in. Yeah. But they didn't give me Babe Pino's pride, you know, <laughs> special microphone. Right. I just had this sure microphone and there was nothing in the monitors, but I'd never been on stage before, so I don't even know... But it's a disaster. I can't hear a note I'm playing. Yeah. And I'm playing so hard trying to hear myself that it's just musical nonsense. Right. And they kind of like sneer at me afterwards and I'm really... You got set up. Well, not exactly, You didn't have a good mic. They didn't give you a monitor. But I just thought this is going to be the kid comes on. Oh, the kid is yeah. good. He's yeah. going to be right. carried out on their shoulders. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, and it was a disaster. Yeah. And my dad had just died. And I colored in my college board. So if I don't go to college, I'm going to go to Vietnam. Right. And I'm just depressed. Yeah. And I'm just walking around Worcester, Massachusetts at 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning when I'm supposed to go to high school in a couple hours, and I'm just like, and I run into this guy, and he's got a wheelbarrow full of dirt, this fat black guy with this weird smile on his face on Main Street in Worcester, Massachusetts at 4 o'clock in the morning when there's nobody. <laughs> right. And so I start talking to him. Yeah. And he tells me... He's just seen a statue turn into an angel and fly away. 
and this is the kind of thing I'm looking for at this point, you know, it's like, and so, and then he tells, he starts explaining to me that you could make um, amplifiers out of cotton, uh-huh. and he's doing it, and, he, and I walk him home, and his mother's sleeping, so I have to be quiet, and he gives me a bicycle yeah. and a tenor saxophone with uh-huh. no case, uh-huh. so I have to ride the bicycle home with the saxophone. That's how I started playing the saxophone. He had he had a wheelbarrow full of dirt, a bicycle, and oh, he's going to plant. He was going to plant an organic on, garden on his roof. So he stole his dad's saxophone. No, no, I brought them and back in a week. It was his saxophone. Yeah, so that's how you got the saxophone. The first one, and I practiced and practiced, and I had this. You didn't take any lessons. No, you just had a, a, a feel for it. No, but what had happened was, I was determined after the guitar lessons. Yeah. To approach this from a completely innate yeah. thing, yeah. I didn't even buy a finger chart for yeah. the first several months, and I would just go up onto this Newton Hill, yeah. which was in the middle, and just blow my brains out for hours in the middle of the night, just because that yeah. was kind of the style then. Too. Yeah, and then slowly but surely, I find, you know I got a finger chart and figured out the notes and started. Yeah, and then uh, how did you uh, not go to the war? I got a high um, lottery number. Mm. scary huh well no because I had friends who got out they would put like peanut butter in the yeah, crack of their yeah. ass you know about this I've heard about the stories and yeah. they, apparently it worked you they know? eat the peanut yeah. yeah they eat the peanut butter how many times they gotta see that stick before they're like you know what all these guys can't be eating their shit no but <laughs> I think that even if like <laughs> even if they knew it was only peanut butter yeah. they think well if the guy's gonna bother to do that let's just let him go <laughs> <laughs> so when was the first uh, combo Oh, not forever. So you're just jamming sax by yourself? Yeah, practicing on my own, yeah. And what are you, where are you working at that point? You stayed in Worcester? No, I moved moved to Boston. Yeah. Then I went to London. Boston? Where'd you live in Boston, man? In Brookline oh, first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I lived up in Brookline. But then I went to London, and I I would like play a saxophone on the street. You just went to London by yourself? Well, my mother, after my dad died, moved to, to Wales, back to Wales to take care of her mom. Oh, really? And then... My brother was over there living in a squat. In Wales or London? In London. He was yeah. in London. My mother was in Wales. And he made it sound like it was wonderful there. <laughs> and so I got there and it was just like, this is a disaster, Evan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, how bad was it? No no water, no heat, no... Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, you know? And then, you know... <laughs> what was he doing? He loved it. But what was he working on? He was playing the piano and... Yeah. And this is what, the 70s? Early 70s? I don't know what year is this. I, I don't mean, know. I'm 20, 21. So 50, it's, it's 60, 72, right? 73. Yeah, 72, 73, yeah. Uh huh. So I started playing the saxophone on the street. Yeah. Annoying people? Were people putting money in to stop you? Like that guy in the train in New York? There used to be a guy in the train in New York who would get on a car and be so irritating with the fucking sax, you gave him money, money to, to keep- stop? <laughs> Basically. You've seen him? No, but I pay a lot of people to stop playing music. I mean, I pay some <laughs> large dollars for a lot of people to stop playing. All right, so you're doing that. Are you playing and, lyrically? Are you playing Coltrane riffs? Are you, are you making of, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm playing, you know, I mean, going back and forth. I'll play Sweet Georgia Brown and mm-hmm. then a Coltrane thing, and I'm not, like, squawking my brains out. I'm, yeah. I'm finding stuff. I'm not out of control. Yeah. But I discovered, I mean, one night I'm playing... 
And you know the, the soccer guys, the football yabo. What are they called? Yabos? Yeah, I don't know. I, they're you know, they're out of control. And I'm in Piccadilly Circus, and some guy just comes by and punches me in the face. I got my eyes closed, and I'm playing, and I yeah. you know I end up on the ground. Yeah. And then I discovered when there all these soccer guys are yeah. are in Midtown or whatever you would call it. You get them to stand behind your saxophone case and sing their song, yeah. their team song, and people just throw a fucking fortune into your case. <laughs> yeah. It kind of it works great until the other fans of the other team come by and yeah. start fighting with them, and then you kind of like close up your case and move to the next corner. <laughs> so you're a front man for a soccer team that you switch sides yeah, on, yeah, every you switch sides and then run, and then run away. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then once I got arrested, I mean, they're so polite there. You know, they said, you must stop playing now or you will be picked up. Okay, I keep playing. And they yeah. come and they arrest me. And I get arrested with all the one-man band guys, you know, with the <laughs> drums on their back and the guitar. Yeah. And the budgie, budgie man, mm -hmm. the guy who has all the birds that do the tricks. Yeah. And dancing Hitler. And all, all these guys, right? Dancing Hitler? And of course, in, that, that famous guy, the Dancing he Hitler. He was famous. You didn't think he really may have been Hitler, so don't don't yeah. turn your nose up at the dance. So we're in this cell the size of this room, like, yeah. eight, and I think there's going to be some kind of camaraderie, you yeah. know? But most of them are junkies, like, waiting to get out of there at 8 o'clock so they can get... Yeah. And they're the meanest fucking people I ever met. Yeah. And plus, I'm a Yank. They really hate me even more. So you're getting shit from the guy with the drum on his back? The police were much nicer than the musicians. Yeah. The police were very apologetic, you know. Did you go to New York next? Where do I go next? Yeah, we came back to and went to New York. Yeah. And now, now, so now it's what, 70, what? 78, five? 77. Oh, really? yeah. yeah. So that's when shit is kind of wild there, right? I mean, it's getting a little better economically, but it's still a little blown out. The Lower East Side is for real. Art I mean, I lived on, real. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what was, I got a job. My uncle got me a job at the Plaza Hotel. Doing what? I was the night housekeeping dispatcher, <laughs> which was really are perfect. Playing, are huh? you playing music? Well, I'm practicing still. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to find God through the saxophone, basically, yeah. is what I'm doing. And so by after by 4 to 6 o'clock, I would have to work. And after that, there would hardly be anything unless, you know, Milton Pearl, Milton Pearl wanted some more pillows, and I'd have to send them down. But uh, otherwise, I could go really? up. Did you the... get Milton Berle pillows? Yes, I sent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did you get to talk to him? Did you deliver the pillows to Milton Berle? No, you call somebody who brings them down. Oh, you couldn't even go do the thing. Well, not like I wanted to. What do you mean, he's Milton Berle? You know what? Were you weren't curious at the time? No, I might be now. <laughs> But no, I would no, you know. Fuck Milton Berle at the time. Yeah, no, it's like just you know. And I would practice up on the roof, you yeah. know, and hope to not miss any calls. Yeah. Plus, you could also get keys to rooms. Yeah. You knew were vacant and sleep there. And it was, oh, you did that. Yeah. The plaza. It's nice. Yeah. Then my horn got stolen, ah. and I moved to Boston. Oh boy. I drove a cab and did some sort of scams a little bit, and then I moved back to New York for good. Scams. And well, if I. Yeah, I, I mean, mean there's statute of limitations. Like is what? there? Probably. I don't know. Did you kill someone? No. All right. I went. I went. Uh, well, what All if, right, I, what yeah. if All I'm right, like? Forget it. Not, what? It's kind of good. All right. Well, then let's do it. And then you think about it. And you call me later in a panic. Well, you call, call your lawyer and ask him if it's I'll call be your right. lawyer. <laughs> I don't have a lawyer. <laughs> well, okay. I'll call my lawyer. What was the scam? So I. I thought, well, what if I couldn't work? Yeah. Because I was psychologically unable, but not so bad that they'd have to put me somewhere. Right. So I went to see, like, you know, this kind of, like, junior league 
socialist social psychiatrist yeah. kind of thing yeah and said you know and, and then she recommended me for supplements social security uh-huh and then i got like 200 bucks a month okay for being slightly off yeah did you play it up what'd you do did you what'd you i would kind of just you know they'd send you to these government psychiatrists and yeah. i would just sort of like suss him out to know what uh-huh. you know yeah like you know you hear voices, and if you found if you looked at him directly in the eyes, and he was terrified, yeah. then you just keep staring him at the eyes, and yeah. then he signs your paper and sends you away. You oh, know, okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you just kind of figure it out. But then I went to get my money. You know, you know, I was all these kind of crazy people on this gigantic thing, and this guy yeah. comes in and he goes, "I want my money," and he's this fat guy, and he gets down on one knee and holds a fist up over his. I was like, man, he's got me beat. Goes, I want my money, and they just wanted him out, you know. Like, yeah, and yeah. they gave him his money and got him out, you yeah. know. Sort I, of. A, I couldn't go that far. It was know? a theme. That was like the saxophone angle too. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. So then, what? You moved to New York permanently. I moved to New York, yeah. And what was the plan? There wasn't a plan. We well, must have wanted to do something. I really, never had a plan. Yeah, saxophone. I had a saxophone. 200 bucks a month for being a fake lunatic. Yeah. And I started dealing pot a little bit. And um, Oh, yeah, back when people had to come over and you had to, like, you, know, you weren't delivering pot. You had no, 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 yeah, yeah. Did you meet some good people? No, I was terrible at it, too. <laughs> and um, then I moved to Third Street and got this $55 a month apartment. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Th- between what and what? Second and third, where the men's shelter block was. Yeah, I lived on second between A and B. Oh, that's close. And yeah, we were neighbors. Kind of. When was that? Uh, it was eighty-nine to ninety-two. Oh, I was gone by then. Yeah, yeah. So then we started the band. You and your brother, Arto Lindsay. Yeah, Arto Anton Lindsay. Fear and Steve Piccolo. Oh Piccolo's. shit. Yeah. That was the original Lounge Wizard. Yeah. That's a monster lineup. It really was. Yeah, man. Anton Fear can really yeah. play the drums. I mean, it's like I kind of didn't really know at the time how good he was, but yeah. he was really good. Yeah, he did. The, he went on to do Golden Palominos, yeah. right? And yeah, he's still playing. Yeah, Steve Piccolo is really musically brilliant too. Yeah, and Ardo's got his thing. Yeah, I mean, everyone's got their thing. Yeah, the the context was not pop music. It was no. definitely experimental. Well, what came right before us? Yeah. And it seems like now it was 10 years before us, but it was like probably two weeks. Yeah. Were Theoretical Girls, Boris Policeman, The Contortions, yeah. DNA. Right. Which were which were probably about, you know, 10 days after television blondie talk, talking right. heads. I mean, but this kind of wilder stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then we were right after that, but it was just... There was no time at all. Right. But it seems like it must have been several years in between those Different generation. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of picked up where they left off. Kind of. But my thing was in jazz, you know, deeply, deeply in in jazz. And you were doing, you were were writing, you you were composing. Yeah. But more improvising or not? Did you write music? Well, what I was doing first was I wanted to make a serious movie and I had the naive idea that... If I wrote the score first, it would be because I watched these people with scripts trying to get money to make it. I was like, that's no fun. I don't want to do that. So I wrote the score yeah. for a movie I wanted to make called yeah. Fatty Walks. Right. And I thought, if I write the music, I'll go into the money people and play these things yeah. and explain what's happening. And this that's, is. That's, but, that's the most backward thing I've ever heard. Well, that you're going to go in and pitch a movie like, look, it doesn't matter what the movie is, just listen to this. So you would play it. What you play a little I bit? I know it was silly, but you no, know. I like it. 
It didn't. I mean, I never even got that far because then, you know, the Lancers had their first gig, and that was the music that we used for that first gig. Was it was was the Lounge Wizards put to, put? To, what, were you trying to do something serious or not? No, it was what's a good band to play on a Monday night before Peter Gordon. Yeah, I said, oh my band, not having one, and then I had this music I was working on, and we threw this thing together. Yeah, and Tony actually made us rehearse. Otherwise, it would have just been, you know, because me and Arto were kind of sloppy those days. And, right. you know, and we were the eldest. And What, drug sloppy? No, sloppy about... about doing the thing, the music. Me and Arto did this thing. Yeah. After the Lancers, it was like six months into it. Yeah. Arto wanted to do a thing at the kitchen. And the kitchen was a big deal then. It was almost like, bam, you yeah. know. Let's apply to do something at the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? He said, I said, let's do a dance performance, Ardo. Because I'm just fucking with him. He said, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so he applied, and we got it. Yeah. And so what it says in the program is, two lanky fellows jump up and down for their money. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And it was so embarrassingly bad. And, and I mean, people just... <laughs> It was just the worst thing. What do you mean? How, they, how did you judge the worst then when people were doing such experimental shit? This wasn't even trying to be oh, good. Yeah. I mean, we played this Morricone music and me, you know, that down, down. And me and Ardo, we had a sunset projected against the wall. Yeah. And me and Ardo in, in, in um, cowboy outfits just sort of stood there with our hands on our, our hips. Yeah. For a long time, yeah, and then, and then, I mean, it was kind of a fuck you to the performance thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, right. And then this cloppity clop, and we sort of started cloppity clopping around. Uh -huh. Then we did dance improv for about four minutes. Mm -hmm. It was called "I Love a Tornado," and then <laughs> sure. we. And what then else we, are you gonna call it? And then we built this tornado structure, and we had this wind machine that didn't work. <laughs> so we got inside there and shook it. <laughs> And then we got out and took a bow, and people sort of left <laughs> grimly. And Evan, who was still there, said, "You guys have a lot of nerve." Yeah. I mean, I think he would have left too if I wasn't. He wasn't my brother, you right. know. He kind of had to stay. <laughs> yeah. You know, we kept gigging. I remember walking down the street with Arto. I was like, "If I could just make two hundred bucks a month doing this, that yeah. would just be unbelievable." Doing the cowboy shtick? No, doing doing. No, I was never going to do. That. I was embarrassed. Yeah. So, all right. So you do the Lounge Wizards. Let's let's. I want to I want to get into the movies and stuff because like right. you definitely have a, you know, people. You know, you're a memorable guy. So you 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 tour with the Lounge Wizards. Yeah, that's all we did forever. I For mean, how long? Oh, from eighty two to ninety eight, ninety nine. Jesus Christ! That's what I did for years and years and years, and we couldn't even get record deals. I mean, I put out some of the records on my own. Yeah. But basically, yeah. How was the audience? Did it hold up? I mean, did oh, you? Oh, you. I mean, in Europe, we played in Milan one night. Sold out place, 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. Winter Marcellus was down the street. It was a quarter full. Patty Smith was the other way. Yeah. It was a quarter full. We, you know, we were packed, packed everywhere all the time in Europe and yeah. Japan. Yeah. In America, it would be like 150 people. Right. You know, like. So most of your money was made international touring. Yeah. And when you were like when you were in New York when it started, what you were like sort of one of a kind in that period, right? Yeah, there was yeah. no one doing what you were doing. No. It was mostly what was it? Was that after No Wave or before? Right after. So it was kind of punk rock still or what was going on down there? It was a little confusing. I mean, when we, I mean the band didn't get good till like 80 
1984. Yeah. We were kind of this novelty act in same, the The same lineup, or did you? No, we switched a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Did you play with Mark Rebo? Rebo? Yeah, yeah. Rebo was, came into the second band. Yeah. yeah, he's a trippy guitar player, man. He, he's a great guitar player. Yeah, and yeah. so like, and so he ended up playing with a lot of uh, the Waits albums as well, yeah, right? Yeah. And you're friends with Tom? Not so much anymore. And, you know, Tom came, you know, came to see us a whole bunch of times and then stole my guitar player, Rebo, right? Yeah. That's kind of like, <laughs> so kind of lower than stealing somebody's girlfriend. You don't yeah, steal somebody, because yeah. it was a band, you know? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That was not right. But you didn't know? you, but when did, so, but did that happen before or after you did uh, Fishing with John with him? Before. So, so you guys were okay to do the fishing show? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, like I'll kill you. Yeah. You stole my guitar player. But <laughs> yeah. it was just kind of like, come on, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not the right thing to do. You know. <laughs> do you like his shit? Some of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually really unusual. Yeah. Where. You know, he was nervous to do the fishing show. Was he? Which shocked me. Yeah. Because who who on earth could be better <laughs> than right. to just throw out random lines about what's happening because he's a genius and there's nobody like him yeah you know there's one thing where he's casting we're using live bait and he, yeah. ca he casts awkwardly and the fish smashes onto the and i said come on tom the idea is to keep him alive yeah and he goes well i'm not a doctor <laughs> and but he's just <laughs> you know and so that he was nervous to do it where he was the best equipped person to do it right was was weird to me well when did you first start acting I haven't started yet. Yeah, kind of. Well, I made these Super 8 movies. But what happened to the Walking with Fatty movie? That never happened. What was that about? It was just about the weirdest things I'd encountered in New York you yeah. know, as a young man, yeah. going from one thing to another. There was some bad guys and like, yeah. yeah. Loose plot. Yeah. But I made these two movies, but I made the Men in Orbit, yeah. which was a simulated Apollo documentary, but uh -huh. we just filmed it on LSD. Mm -hmm. It's kind of good, yeah. but unbearable at the did same you, time. Did you digitize it? it did you, I don't know. It's on video now. Oh, you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean. yeah, you can get it. No, you can't get it. But it's, you have it. It's horrible. <laughs> but, 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 and, and then- um, it was the other Super 8 one. was called Hell Is You, yes. where I interviewed James Chance. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is he still around? Yeah. Yeah. Like he's dead? I don't know. No, he's still alive. Does he still play? I don't know. Okay. Um, Why is it so surprising to ask if someone's dead or not? I mean, Jesus Christ, look around. I know. It's really... And uh, there's got to be a better way. You know, you What's change the, the channels, Yeah. and it says, David Bowie dies. Yeah. This is not the way to find out that somebody you knew and cared about died. It's just wrong. Or on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, you know. How do you want to find out? Do you want someone here's to come how, over? Here's how I want to find <laughs> Say, out. Say, like, can you sit down for a minute? Here's how I want to find out. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm 63. My brother's 61. Yeah. Now it's happening more and more often. Right. I get a phone call from Evan. Mm -hmm. He says, John, I have some bad news. Mm -hmm. I know what's coming next, but it gives me a moment to settle in, hope it's not somebody too close, but just to be ready for yeah. who died. Right. That's all I want. So they should have on CNN, they should have Evan come yeah. on and go, John, we have some bad news, on and CNN. then David Bowie dies. You know, that's that's how it should go. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, or they, not, I mean, anybody but Don Lemon could say it. Right. Anderson Cooper could come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. We have we some, some bad, bad news. news. And then... Let me get ready. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, that's a reasonable request. Isn't it? Not from a television, but from people. The, uh, well, but that's how you find I mean, Twitter, it's like I found out so many friends died from Twitter. It's just like. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't like it. Well, get off Twitter. Oh. 
I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I haven't been on that long. Yeah. So, all right. So, but when did you? Uh, how did you get involved with Jarmouche? When did uh, the? What was the first one? Mister, uh, not Mister. Uh, no, the first uh, one is uh, I Stranger played. Stranger than Paradise. No, the first one I played on the street and did the score for um, uh, Permanent Vacation, and they stored the uh, equipment at my house. And that was a Jarmouche movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you knew him when he was a kid. And you were a kid, basically. Well, he was going to film school. I yeah. met him during the Eric Mitchell movie, yeah. uh, Red Italy. Uh-huh. But the most amazing thing about the movie Permanent Vacation was Jean-Michel Basquiat, the painter, used yeah. to sleep on my floor in the front room. And he had to, If I'm jealous about anything, I'm a little jealous about you interviewing Obama. Yeah. But I'm more jealous of people who can sleep anywhere at any time. And Jean-Michel could sleep anywhere. Yeah. And so he used to sleep on my rug in the front room, and they're storing the film there. Yeah. And he was so asleep that they could pick him up and move him from another place. Was he on drugs? No, he's just been, you know, out for a few days, and now he's sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. And they would move him. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're jealous of that. People who can sleep anywhere. What about his painting? He's also a pretty beautiful painter. He's a great painter. Yeah. No, I'm not jealous of that. I'm jealous of the sleeping, sleeping. Yeah. The sleeping. Yeah, I can't sleep everywhere. I used to have this drummer, Dougie Bound, yeah. five two. Yeah. He'd fall asleep on the plane, he'd fall asleep on the and just in a second. I, I just I get so pissed off I'd wake him up. I yeah. couldn't stand it. I mean yeah. I really hate I mean, jealous, jealous, yeah. jealous. I can jealous. only sleep on planes right before takeoff. For some reason when they change the pressure in the cabin, I go out. And then as soon as the plane takes off, I'm up. And that's that. Oh, no. If I sleep, the plane will crash. Yeah. Yes. That's but, usually what causes yeah. all crashes. Yeah, the, <laughs> yes. The, the scared guy falls asleep. Yeah, that's right. That's, I think that's true. <laughs> all right. So but uh, all right, so you do permanent vacation. But when... Because uh, I think the first time I saw you act was in the Stranger Than Stranger Paradise. Stranger Than Paradise. I mean, you just had a good presence on there, man. Yeah, good presence. Yeah, like you're, you're kind of heavy. Heavy? Not, not fat, but like intense, man. You You know, you're menacing. Really? I don't. Sometimes. Sometimes, but maybe just cranky. Cranky. <laughs> My acting style is curmudgeon. Curmudgeon from the curmudgeon yeah, school of acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jim had a little bit of. We had a little bit of film left over from the vendor's state of things. Yeah. And uh, he didn't know what to do. He was writing this thing that was just the Garden of Divorce, which was this futuristic sci-fi. Yeah. Ro- and it was terrible. Yeah. And then he said, well, let's just do this. And I pushed him, pushed him, pushed him. Yeah. So we shot this little half-hour movie, and then he got, you know, two years later, he got the rest of the money Yeah. to finish it. Yeah, yeah it's a sweet movie. It changed everything somehow. Did it? A little bit. It was like this thing that, like, it was, uh, that, it was that generation of independent movies. Like, it wasn't, like, uh, yeah, it sort of started something. See, I never quite understood that because the Cassavetes and Fassbenders and, and yeah, yeah, but it, that wasn't for the kids. It, it I wasn't think he, for the kids. He, well, he got a whole generation of people going like, "I'm going to make a movie." Yeah, you know, Fassbender and uh, Cassavetes are like, "I'm never going to make a movie like that." Oh yeah, but you know, Jarmusch made that movie like, "I can make a movie." It was very something very sweet about yeah. it. Yeah, something charmed. Yeah, I mean, we were so lucky because it was like one guy got the flu. It would have. That would have been done. Well, I think know? Louis just used the woman in it, uh, Esther. Yeah, yeah, who I think Louis used her recently. Yeah, yeah he, I think he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did she do a lot of acting after that? No, not so much. Yeah, she plays violin too. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So then, the, does do you, would you consider that you had a movie career after no. that? 
You were kind of a New York kind of go- face. Like, you know, you'd see you in movies, you gave a credibility somehow. Really? Yeah, that's John Lurie, the no, New York no, guy. No, no, no. Then, like a cameo. Because, I mean, I couldn't act. I mean, I had no. I know, but you look good. But I had no chops. I wasn't a legitimate. I mean, I was in a Lynch movie, a Vendors movie, a Scorsese movie, but I really just to kind of to do that. I thought yeah. you were good in Down by Law. That was a I, I, I came and went. I was good for a while. I mean, Benini's. Well, yeah, yeah. But he, you know. But you were good. It seemed to fit you good. I could, I did okay. Yeah, yeah. And then you did, <laughs> right, you were in uh, uh, The Last Temptation. Yes, Christ. I was. I was St. James. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> How dare you? I'm a serious actor. <laughs> you motherfucker. Uh, I you know, saying, let me tell you something. I saw it the first time, like, shit, did John Lurie's got a beard. So the first day, me and Vicar. Didn't you have a beard or am I making that up? No, I had a beard. Yeah, yeah. And a wig. Yeah, yeah. But my, it was me and my beard. Yeah, and you were in the desert? We're in Morocco. Yeah. So the first scene is we're moving these fish, me and Vic Argo, and they're old, stinky fucking fish. Yeah. And Vic is being very careful, but I'm going to be a good actor here. I'm going to get into moving my fish. Yeah. And they get all over my robe, my costume. Yeah. And then the costume, co- they don't, and the continuity people, they won't let them clean my robe uh-huh. because they're not sure if it's going to screw even though the story takes place over five years uh-huh. they won't let them clean my robe right and i've got all this fish stink on my robe yeah so anytime i stand still anywhere flies come i mean i'm like detracting <laughs> flies everywhere i go and that was not part of the possible Act, james's story acting, fuck the, acting james Jesus. was not the attractor of flies yeah, in no, the bible he was no the man of stink no <laughs> <laughs> the man of stink. Where's that record? <laughs> I'll work on it. The man of stink. Sounds more like a poem, though. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Work on either one of them. I had Favino in here, Jimmy. Yeah. And uh, and he brought up this. Uh, there was a controversy. Did you write the Conan O'Brien theme song? Not the one you hear. No? Con- were you going to say controversy? I'll yeah. T- I'll tell you how it happened. I had been through this horrible thing with this lawyer and assistant doing really bizarre things like how I lost the fishing show and I was really lost all my money and the lawyer who I paid it helped me out of some of this so you know they're going to make this new TV show it's going to be like you know you know Letterman or something and maybe you could be the band leader yeah I'm thinking like if I play the music I want they'll let me stay for a month and then fire me and it will be great yeah it'll be like when Jimi Hendrix opened for the monkeys or something yeah. you know it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm running off to the audition, and Conan had said that they wanted something that sounded like the Jetsons. Yeah. So I wrote this really tight Harmon Mute thing that sounded kind of like Thelonious Monk Jetsons kind of thing. Yeah. And then Howard Shore calls me. He's the guy who was going to, he's you know, he's a big deal. Yeah, Howard Shore, yeah, he's a big music guy. And he's the one who's supposed to find somebody, and he wants me, and all everybody wants me but Conan. I said, why? And he said, well, Conan thinks you're funnier than him, and that scares him. Well, okay. But I have good news. They're going to use our theme. Yeah. Our theme. <laughs> yes, I've taken what you wrote and changed it a little bit, and I'm thinking, like, who gave you the right to do that? Who the yeah, fuck yeah. do you think you are, you know? Right. But I'm thinking, also, the money's going to be good, you know, yeah. it's okay. And then nothing. I don't hear anything. Yeah. And Conan comes on the air, and they're using it. But there's no credit for me. No credit for anybody, actually. And I don't know what to make of this. But I, because of what had happened to me, 
What happened? Well, I lost, you know, I had this assistant and lawyer who sold the fishing show and this concert film, and all my money was stolen. I lost everything back, like, the year before that, so I was really skeptical. So after my audition with the Conan show, I sent my audition tape to the library, you know, copy, yeah. copyrighted it. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah. Who does that? A guy who got fucked. A guy who got fucked, but it still was. I mean, I thought, when I was like, put it in the mailbox, I was like, you're fucking nuts to be yeah. doing this. But, so now it's on. Yeah. And Howard, I said something about it in an interview somewhere, and they kind of misquoted me, and it was worse than it was. Yeah. Looked. And then he, he wouldn't speak to me anymore. And so they're just playing this thing. So then we had this lawyer call, and they said, well, we don't really know this. It's like, um, we've copyrighted it. And I had him by the balls. Just had to wait long enough so it actually became the theme. And then, you know, I made... And I wrote it in, like, less than five minutes. I mean, I was just... Stephen Bernstein, I said, okay, listen, Stephen Bernstein wrote it down really yeah. quickly, and then we, could, we we nailed it. Yeah. And we did, I liked the way we did it, and I hate the way. I can't stand the way. I mean, I almost didn't want to. But, yeah, so that's how it went. And, and they, who knows what Howard Shore's thing was. I mean, I'd love to talk to him about it. I'd love to actually, because I liked Howard, and yeah. I'd like to kind of trust him on this. But I got a lot of people afterwards calling me and saying, you know, Howard stole music from me too, but you don't know who, you, who to believe about any sure. of Sure. I mean, he's a real, he's written some good stuff. I How mean, long did they use the theme? For all, until he was on the Tonight Show, and it was like, then he was even on the Tonight Show, and then until he got knocked off. And then, you know, when he came back, they used something else. So a long time. Long time. I mean, it was paid my bill when I got sick. Yeah, you made the money. I had no money coming in. But no, but I didn't write that part. I just wrote. Yeah, yeah. But on the harmon mute on the trumpet, it was sweet what we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't write that. But but I hate that. That's where you draw the line. Yeah, Sorry, man. Sorry, just. But that got you through. It's amazing about show business, isn't it? Here's the other way. When you lock into something. The other way, I used to do a lot of voiceover stuff, yeah. and my agent was really stuck by me when I was really sick and I couldn't really function, and I was doing um, animal cops, uh-huh. but I was too sick to be doing them. I mean, I, I, I would say the, De- the Detroit Humane Society, and then after like a half an hour, really? Yeah, because anything oh I would God. use would stop working, but I couldn't let them. You know, I just imagine my obituary saying, towards the end, he managed to keep his job on animal cops, <laughs> and they fired me, mm-hmm. and he got me the job doing Toyota. Yeah. Toyota Corolla. Yeah. Now that's moving you forward. Except they hired me, but they wanted a high-pitched, friendly voice, which I couldn't understand why, yeah. and, then, and then they weren't going to use me anymore. Maybe I shouldn't tell this on the air because it might get him in trouble. You know what? I'm going to stop. But I made more money for the five-minute Conan thing and not appearing on yeah. Toyota Corolla commercials than I made doing anything else. That's that's an amazing thing that it, that it carried you that long. I love uh, the stories about people making money in their sleep. You know, like yeah. that, that the idea that you wrote this piece and it was protected yeah. and it, you know, it paid off. Wait, but, you know, I did some, you know, I did things things you do to try to make money and then you sure. lose all your money you well, know how'd you lose all your fucking money several different ways what just investing your own money in projects giving people money paying getting people out of jail paying for rehabs you know like you know things like that friends 
Yeah. Well, what, what were friends until I was in trouble? Yeah. You know, and then, um, I don't know. You mean when you got sick, nobody came and helped you? Some people, but, oh, uh, let's not. How do you know Flea? Flea's a sweetheart. Yeah, he's a great guy. Sweethearts. Yeah. I was out here doing, first I met him was, I was out here doing the music for a not very good movie. Uh-huh. And I wanted them to not hire everybody. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write these funk things. For which movie? Um, I don't remember the name of it. It was, it was like, it was like a, a, a motorcycle, futuristic motorcycle movie. You did a lot of, you did quite a few movies, though. You I did, did a bunch of movies. Mystery course. Train, Down by Law, yeah. Get Shorty, that's big. Yeah, that's big. You must have made a few bucks on that one. Mm-hmm. Fishing with John, that's Excess Baggage, is that the one? That's a good score. Yeah? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a really good score. Yeah, well, what, what's that movie about? Oh, I don't know. It's, um, uh. Benicio del Toro and uh, Alicia Silverstone. Uh huh. But you work hard. You like doing that work. I used to like it, but like that was a bad experience. That one. Yeah. They don't care about the movie. Yeah. You do these Hollywood movies. Nobody cares if it's any good or not. Right. They only care about who returns whose phone call. Right. And I if like, it makes money. Well, they don't even seem to care about that. They uh-huh. really only care about who returns whose phone call. <laughs> yeah. If you make the movie good, it might make money. Right. But you know, it's like, well, there's a car horn at the end of, you know, at the, you know, two minutes into, well, what's the car, what does it sound like? Oh, we don't know. Just write some music. It's like, no, you want to make a good, I mean, it takes a lot of work to make things good and people have to care, you know? When you score a film, what what do you do? You sit with the film? Well, you watch it once. Yeah. Without any music. Well, they have, sometimes they have temp music. Right. And sometimes they don't. Yeah. And then you watch it one, like on your own. I just leave a tape recorder going at the keyboard or with a guitar mm-hmm. and just sort of play the first thing that comes to your mind. And 80% of the time that works. And then you kind of modify it. To fix oh, really? It. Yeah. It often works. That's great. Yeah. So you meet Flea? Oh, I met Flea. Well, I was out here doing this movie score and I wanted to. So, so I called Mac, Matt Dyke. You know Matt Dyke? Nah. From uh, Delicious Vinyl. Is that what it was called? With Maybe. Tone Loke. Uh huh. You know, this is, he was doing some stuff back then. Yeah. And um, Sir Mix-a-Lot, I think, was yeah. on, you know, that stuff. Yeah. So, man, I need a really funky bass player. You got to get this kid, the flea. Get the flea. <laughs> yeah. So I called this kid. And yeah. I was, you know, because I had this stuff in 5.4 and in 7.8. And could you do this? And he could do it, you know. And he comes in and, you know, there's all these, um, all these outfits from the movie, mm-hmm. like leather jackets with, like, cups stapled to them and yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And he like goes, oh, what's this? And he puts it on. He says, can I have this? I, I don't know. Just take it. <laughs> and he walked out onto Sunset Boulevard. Where, and I was just like, I really was jealous. You know, I was like, how could you have the balls to walk out there wearing? So he was supposed to play on this thing. And then he showed up like hours late. You know, it was going to yeah. be him and Hillel and Cliff Martinez were going to play on the f- And they showed up hours late. And the L.A. guy just kind of looked at me and was like, See, I knew I shouldn't let you hire anybody. And mm-hmm. that, that, was that was it. it. Yeah. As the drugs, man. I guess. Back then. But how is that? So you, uh, you've you gone in and out with that shit, with the drinking and stuff? Um, I mean, that's a long arc of a story. I mean, no, I mean, I was a junkie. Yeah. And then, I, you know, with freebase during, cocaine. During the Lounge Wizards? Yeah, during a lot of it. Yeah. 
and I quit and then started again and then quit and then I drank and then yeah. I quit and then I yeah. did nothing forever. Yeah. And then at some point I started drinking with, with this whole thing, this horrible stuff that happened with, and, and, yeah. and I, I'd gotten a little better with the Lyme disease, but I started drinking and I found that it quelled the nervousness. You know, I used to drink a bottle of vodka on the road every night and then come home. Yeah. And not drink. Yeah. And not even think about it. Yeah. And that drinking got under my skin like that. Yeah. It was shocked me. So I, I took me a while to kind of sure. You know, but you got you were strung out on the dope for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's I never did that shit. I mean, I, I'm clean, you know, but I never like I never took to the heroin. I love the combination of heroin and cocaine oh, at yeah. the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Just to balance it out al- alchemically, perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, if the coke ran longer than the heroin, then yeah. you were in hell. Yeah. You know, the heroin had to outlast the coke. <laughs> right, right. Because your nerves just yeah. couldn't handle it. Yeah. So did it? was it hard to, to kick that? No, I did it many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So Cigarettes I, are harder. Yeah, cigarettes never go Cigarettes away. were harder. Yeah, they're just always there. Huh? I'm still addicted to nick I mean, you just chew this me too, stupid dude. gum. And you're, you call me dude again? Sorry. Jesus. I'm sorry. I don't know what it's a bad habit. I don't always do it. Do I look like a dude? No, but it's you? just like I, I usually say buddy. Buddy's weird because I feel like I should sit on the same side of the table if you're going to call me All right. Buddy. Well, John, how's John? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> call, so, me, call me Frendo. Hey, Frendo, listen. <laughs> <laughs> so after all is said and done here, we go through all this stuff, this amazing career, music, film, did you know that Obama stuck gum under the table? I here? did know that. I just, I just didn't tell <laughs> what, anybody. What a fucker. Yeah, yeah. Don't take it. Oh, Are you going to save it there because it's his? That's where the DNA is. Oh, you're is. really nuts. <laughs> it's in the gum. Oh, is there really gum under there? No, I'm just teasing you. I don't know who. I, a lot of people have sat over there. I don't know who took gum out. Who's and stuck the last person to stick, sit here? Uh, oh, uh, Cindy Crawford. Really? Yeah. I was on the plane with her once. Yeah. And I was shocked at like the presence of her. Yeah, she was just. I just thought you know you see these people sure. sometimes and they're nothing and but she was like Cindy Crawford. Whoa, <laughs> no, not that she was even just as an entity. Yeah, she just kind of like something radiate. And then we got off the plane. It was me and Bashemi were traveling together, and she goes, and they were like chasing her. Jeez, I mean, like they were wild animals that would look like hell to be her. Well, oh, the, the, the paparazzi. Yeah. I mean, like. I mean, How long ago was that? Oh, wow, wow. Because me, you know, it was me and Steve were, you know, Steve was kind of even unknown. So, I mean, like. What were 15, you doing with Steve? We were just on the flight together. We've been pals forever. Still pals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. He's a sweet man. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, that's good. He held, he held on to him. Yeah. You guys still friends. He's a sweetheart. Him, yeah. and, him and Flea are just sweet. Will yeah, they are. Yeah. You know, some show business people, you know, I got sick and they disappeared. Yeah. And then I was bitter for a while, and then I kind of felt sorry for them. Yeah, you, you seem know? pretty good. I thought you'd be cranky. You don't seem. You seem good. Well, I kind of geared myself to not be cranky when I got here. What are you doing in L.A.? It's kind of a a, a fiasco of a trip. I I'm not. I'm here to do this. Yeah. Because I've been thinking about doing this forever. Yeah. But I was supposed to have a show at the New New Orleans Museum of Art. Yeah. And for the paintings. Yeah. Yeah, we hardly talked about the paintings. We can p- talk about them. I mean, it seems like you paint one every day. 
No, they go on. No, that's so. No, I don't paint one every day. Well, on Twitter, I look at you. It's like, holy shit! Did you just finish another one? No, I cycle them out so, okay, so right. I can kind of like you well, know. How how much? How many paintings are you churning out? Like three a month, like four a month. Maybe. And what are you working with? Watercolor? Or Mostly oil? watercolor now. Yeah, I love it. And I'm completely. I love them. You do. I do. The only one you ever retweeted was the one making fun of um, uh, Time Warner Gable. Because <laughs> I. <laughs> I'll retweet more if you want me to. Yeah, all of them, yes. But here's what's amazing to you. I'm pointing again. Yeah. Is that the persistence of your creativity, that after you you know, you know move through all this stuff, whatever it is, acting, but mostly music, and then scoring movies, and then you know, you're know just one of these guys that has a creative fever that you find yourself doing these almost peaceful and... You know, you look at your paintings and, you know, you, you feel a warmth. It's almost, there's a childlike component. There's a primitivism thing. There's a, you know, like, almost like a native element to it. And the colors are stunning. And, like, I, I'm happy for you that you paint. <laughs> I'm serious. That was really sweet, actually. I mean, I'm a big interrupter. And I don't, yeah. and I don't like being complimented so much. But that, re that was really nice. I, I enjoyed that, actually. Yeah. I, I just like, because, like, I don't know what it is like, or, or whether I know a lot about you or not. For some reason, your presence in 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 my mind has always been there, right? So then, when when I started seeing you on Twitter and and it was kind of mysterious, I you know I didn't know where you were, what you were doing. And yeah, but we, that's by design. I mean, no, I know yeah. that. But we had a thing and whatever. But I, I've always been sort of fascinated with you. And when I first started seeing the paintings, I'm like, oh my God, this is what he's doing and this is like some of the best shit he's ever done. Yeah, it is. It Actually, the painting has gone past everything. My soul, I mean, when I thought I lost music, I thought music was the only way I was going to find my soul in this universe. And, uh -huh. But the painting has gone, has passed it. It's yeah. past it. It's really. So you actually find some peace with it? Oh my God. I just, I mean, I've been traveling for a minute and I haven't painted in a week and yeah. I'm like, forget about cigarettes and heroin. It's just yeah. like, I got, I want to get back to it. It's just like, I'm in it. I'm yeah. just in it, you know? Yeah, and you feel that. I must feel that. Cool. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm serious. Thanks. And I don't even know you. I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, there is a weird thing with you and me. We must have run in parallel lines. I don't lines know what for, it is. I don't you know. I know it. There but is. I bet you and me would fight all the time. Eventually, uh, no, quickly. I think. <laughs> really? Yeah, really, dude? Think? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> you're gonna fuck with me if you're gonna fuck with me. No, you get. You're in a good mood. I, I thought maybe if I fuck with you in a good then mood, call me, okay. I, I, doctor doctor calls me, dude. My doctor calls me, dude, and I grab him by the lapels. Really? You, do you grab your doctor by the lapel? Yeah, he's, for he's you a dude? small guy. <laughs> so you, you you're doing three paintings a month. Hmm, about. And you came, oh, first of all, I interrupt you. What was this New Orleans thing that you were working oh, on? Oh, we were supposed to have this show. It was yeah. my year. This was my 2016, this big show yeah. at the museum in New Orleans. Yeah. And I was very excited. We were kind of planning everything around it. And then, so we were going to go now yeah. and choose. So I had three rooms and there was a fourth room going to be an archival room. And I was, these Bayou painters, you know about them? No. They're just beautiful. Yeah. People don't know. So I was supposed to pick stuff from their archives that was going to go oh, in this fourth room. you curate a little bit. Yeah, curate one yeah. room and then have my paintings in the other. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy, David Owen from San Francisco Sketchfest, a really sweet guy. He's been bugging me forever mm -hmm. to come there and screen fishing with John and do a question and answer. Sure. After. We've been saying, no, I've got Lyme disease. I can't do it again. And so I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'll go, because flying with the Lyme is still kind of hard. Yeah. You know, I had to come here. I had to rest the day before, rest the day after, and then yeah. leave. But so I'll go to San Francisco, 
come and do Marin. Then I go to New Orleans and then go back to my island. Uh-huh. And then we buy the tickets. We sign the contract with San Francisco and New Orleans pulled out. Oh. And it just left. It just it felt. And they pulled, pulled out like, that quick, like that close, short, took, short notice? Well, no, because the thing wasn't scheduled until next this coming summer. Right. But I had to go there in January to pick the archival room, and I planned my year around yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Oh, held back sorry, works buddy. from Milan. No, it's just like, and their reasoning was they didn't have the money. Mm. That they were only having shows that had corporate sponsorship. Mm. And then you start to think about why all the stuff you see in these museums sucks. It's because it has, has to have corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of art has corporate sponsorship? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It creepy yeah i know but like they they it seems to me that the the middle person whoever was in charge of the museum could have championed you to any corporation it's not like corporations are making decisions that's true but the guy who was championing us wasn't the top guy oh. and i don't know do i want do yeah. i want you know um who well, yeah i don't know pepsi what uh, uh i don't know you, what, you, you don't, wor- do you, you want that are you worried that a, I'm not like really a, worried. a war just, contractor was going to... That's a museum. There's money. Money yeah. comes to the museum. It it's not because Pepsi-Cola yeah. gave them money. Right, right, There's right. money for the museum to present great stuff. So don't present some plastic fucking dog that's worth $36 million for no reason. Sure, sure. People should be mad because yeah. art should, art is important. It is important. I think. No, definitely. I, I Like I said, uh, my girlfriend's an abstract painter. Yeah. And it's stunning. I can't I can't even wrap my brain around where what you guys do comes from from something it's to me it's beautiful and it's an amazing thing but just the whole idea that what's showing in the museums is only there because it's sponsored by something corporate yeah that's but i don't know if that's always what i don't know if it's always true but it's just sort of the whole thing's sort of scary because you know mostly what you look at is sucks yeah you know the new stuff or in in general who are are your guys uh, you know in terms of the older guys uh, the painters all through life you mean well yeah who do you like Pollock, Van yeah. Gogh, Bruegel, yeah. uh, Sheila, yeah. Klimt. But Klimt, I didn't discover until late. But I, I actually love him. Yeah, um, I can see that. Pollock, yeah, Morris Lewis, Basquiat. Well, you knew him. Well, I knew him. I mean, it's different. Yeah, it's way different because yeah. he was just this kid. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I picked up some stuff from him. He picked up some stuff from me. We would just like you know get high and paint yeah. all the time yeah 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 that's too weird it's like some kid in your neighborhood who followed you around and then became a big deal yeah, it's yeah. like are you influ- yeah that happened in new york but then it's like were you influenced by the kid who followed you around <laughs> you're just like damn you know it's kind of hard sorry you know? yeah Thank are you, you comfortable on the island yes you're having a nice time i love it there good i got goats in the yard really yeah and mango trees and iguanas and i can see the ocean from every room and it saved my health because when I got there, I was like, you know, yeah, I swim every day, which I never thought was going to be possible again. And you got your own place? I rent a place. Yeah, I didn't buy. I, yeah, uh huh. Uh-huh. I love it there. Well, good man. I'm happy you're okay despite the um, problems. No, man. I, this is like I came through the other side. Yeah, I survived shit that I know, and most people don't even know what I survived, but I know. And with her, too, she really stood by me. I mean, you know, I did a painting called The Other Side of the Great Wall of Fuck. Yeah. And it's for real, you know. It's like, but what I survived, it's like, you're a tough motherfucker. I'm proud of that. It feels yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 you know, stay on the good side of it. 
you know, I was going to ask if I could move in for a while. We'll talk about it off the mic. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> on mic. I got to talk. <laughs> That's where I become one of those guys. Who are like, I'd like to help you, John. You know, but I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. but where are we in Pasadena? Almost. Pasadena's over there. Glendale's over there. Eagle Rock's a little east of us. We're a little east of uh, you know Mount Washington, Glassell Park, and Eagle and Rock. We're talking east. about places I never heard. We're of. East. Well, you're not LA guy. Well, I lived in I Palm know. Springs for a while. We're, we're far from Palm Springs. <laughs> well, I know, but I know east. <laughs> yeah. You, he, Palm Springs is east of here. <laughs> it's east of here. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're west of Palm Springs. So. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you. It, I had fun. Good. I did, too. It, was really... it wasn't a disaster, right? We're not no, going to have to like... No, 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 no. I, I am truly happy for you, and I'm glad you came out through it. And, you know, we talked about what we needed to talk about or what you wanted to talk about. We don't have to do any more war stories. I just enjoyed seeing you. You look really good, though, like better than any photographs. And I noticed on the recent photographs yeah. you look good. Well, I, I maybe I think I think I relaxed a little bit. I'm a little re more relaxed. Well, you got a lot back from the world now. I mean, people <laughs> love true. Mark Barron, and it actually makes a difference. After I did the thing in Milan and got all this great press, and they yeah. treated me with the respect that it could oh, be. Oh, it's a relief, right? And it was just kind of like. And I saw it in the mirror. I thought, well, did I change a vitamin? Did I get more sleep? It was like, no, it was just like... Validation. A little validation, you know. And it, but you can see it in your face. Makes and, a difference when you work your whole fucking life at a bunch of different shit. Yeah. And, you know, when the chips are down, you don't know if shit's going to come back around. And somehow it slowly starts coming around. And you find something, like, not unlike you in painting, that you never anticipated yeah, ever doing yeah, yeah, I know. and and it turns out to be the thing that works for you and your heart and it also makes you uh appealing to others and and <laughs> you know it's a good thing appealing to others <laughs> look i i know we're both men that have uh, been the opposite of that yeah you know, it's like i don't know why i like that asshole i just <laughs> but he's pushing his luck yeah <laughs> you ready to can we go no let's keep talking forever Okay. You're tired? No, I'm not. You're not? I'm not tired. Let's get out of here. I'm going to say something stupid if I haven't already. All right, John. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I think we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was it was pretty lively in here, my friends. Pretty lively with John Lurie. Uh, go check out his stuff. You can go to WTFPod.com for all WTF Pod stuff. Okay? We can play some guitar, maybe. Boomer lives!